Welcome to episode 43 of Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer Podcast. I'm Derek Dye. And I'm Jeff Brownson, and together we're drinking our way through this amazing world one pint at a time. Whether you love to travel, you love a cold local beer, or you just can't get enough of either, you're listening to the right podcast. That's what we're here to talk about. Today's episode includes the conclusion of our interview with Ashley Smith from My Wanderlusty Life. We get deep into her travels and favorite places, talk about our experiences and love of Oktoberfest, and even go over how to plan a bit of German beer fun at home. Before we get to that interview, though, let's take a minute to thank our regular listeners. Without you, we'd just be talking to ourselves. If you haven't already, click that button to subscribe to the show so you won't miss anything we have coming down the line. Speaking of episodes coming down the line, all good things must come to an end at some point. Don't worry, though, the podcast isn't ending completely, but season two of Miles and Pints certainly is. We're going to take a few weeks off, and we'll be back refreshed and ready for season three. If you will be missing our weekly updates in Miles and Points with Pints while we're away, be sure to join Travel on Points on Facebook. You can learn all about travel rewards there. If you will be missing the travel and beer talk, Jeff will be traveling through Europe for the next few weeks, so make sure you're following our Miles and Pints social channels to see what he's up to. That's also where you will see the announcement of when we will be back for Season 3. And now that you know all of that, let's get to the good part. Sit back, relax, crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy our chat with Ashley. So I want to switch gears a little bit now that we've gotten through the, I guess, the the professional side of your life and the background of your life and, of course, the bees, because we couldn't leave out the bees. Mm -hmm. Let's start talking. Let's dig a little deeper into the travel side of things. And we're going to start with the basics. And that's what what is your typical travel style? Do you travel on your own? Do you travel with your husband? Do you travel with a larger amount of family, with friends, with group tours? Walk us through kind of the, the typical trips that you're planning these days. Um, I do a little bit of all of that, actually. I travel by myself. It's not my favorite way to travel, but I do it. You know, I spend a month in Germany every year and I'm by myself and I always take side trips or I'll go places before Oktoberfest happens by myself. I'll travel with my husband a lot or I'll travel with um, groups of friends. I do all that. I don't do um, group tours. At least I haven't yet. I was supposed to in March of 2020. That didn't pan out, but I have never done that before. I don't know. I just... I have control issues. I prefer to control all the stuff myself. I like to plan all my own stuff and go where I want to go, when I want to go there. Um, so I think that's why I just haven't taken any tours by myself. But it has nothing to do with me actually being a tour leader. And when you travel with your husband, are you the planner of that? You, you do all the details of where you're going to go and stuff, and he just kind of comes along for the ride? Yeah, he is the kind who's like, just tell me what time we have to be at the airport. <laughs> you know, like he'll be, he'll say, what do I need to pack? Um, what, what day are we leaving? Cause I have everything planned out from top to bottom. My wife jokes around. I do the main logistics when we travel together and when we travel as a family. So I do like flights, hotels, uh, trains, 
transportation from the airport, that kind of stuff. But any of the activities we do once we're on the ground, she takes care of. So she says it's like I'm like a little kid. Like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, ooh, what are we going to go do today? And then she takes me on a tour for the day and then we go back and sleep. (laughs) And then I wake up the next day and I'm like, ooh, what are we going to do today? And she says, nice mix of responsibility. Yeah, she says it's a nice little like valet vacation for me. And I'm like, but you wouldn't have got here if it weren't for me. Yeah, that's good because that's the stuff that I like the least, I guess. But Ashley, he he only tells half the story. There's also the frantic text like the night before a flight <laughs> when he remembers there's not rental cars booked and or hotels uh. booked. And he has to freak out quickly because his wife doesn't know. Yeah, th- oh, I did. that's happened I did do before. That recently. <laughs> It was a vacation. We were flying into Louisville and we were going to go down to Mammoth Caves and then we were going to go over to St. Louis and on to Kansas City. So entire driving vacation and I forgot to book a (laughs) rental car. Nice. The frantic text and and reading Jeff's mood through uh, text was amazing because I knew exactly that that pit in his stomach. He's like, I don't have a rental car. We're we're landing tomorrow for a week. (laughs) And it was my wife and both kids. I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. Because it was in the, like, the peak of you can't get rental cars. And I managed Mm -hmm. to, I managed to snag one at an off airport Hertz location. And they were great. They upgraded us to an SUV. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. But a little stressful the night before. And your wife found out about it? Uh, Yeah, I told her after I booked one. Oh, nice. By the like, way, we do have a rental car for our road trip, just so, so you know. So I just booked a rental car. It might be a couple hundred dollars more than if I had booked it a few weeks ago, just so you know. But the fact that you had one is uh Yeah, normally I'm good part. about that. When she travels, she sometimes has a hard time because like, she doesn't normally have to worry about the card to get her into a lounge or her passport or any of that because I get all that together and I carry all that. So when she travels on her own, she's like, what do I do for cell phone? Which credit card should I use? She's like, this is hard. You should come and just do this stuff, and then I'll go on my own for the days. I'm like, no. Oh, that's so funny. No, I definitely do all of that. But I like to do all of that. Yeah, she loves it as well. She is a, a crazy planner and detail person. Mm-hmm. You two would probably get along. Yeah. She wasn't She wasn't there when um, when you were there, when I met you at Oktoberfest. No, she has right. a pesky thing called a teaching job that usually doesn't oh, let her take yes. a week off in September. Yep. I don't know why. Though last month we did go to Mexico for the entirety of September. That was a weird teaching anomaly. Last year, you said? Yeah. Well, I think I said last month. But last year, yes. Oh, okay. Last year. She was probably working virtually. Is that true? Yes. And the kids were both virtual. And we said, Whoa. Oh, we're out. Yes. And went and lived on the beach for a month. It was lovely. Nice. I remember watching that. So when you travel any of those ways, are you typically a budget traveler? Do you go as cheap as possible, stay in hostels? Do you like to use some points or cash and stay at the fanciest hotels? Um, are you doing adventure stuff? Are you bungee jumping? Are you just laying on the beach? Are you just finding good beer wherever you go? Um, I'm doing all of that except for laying on the beach. <laughs> I like to, uh, I'll stay at cheap hostels or I'll stay at nicer places. Um, I use points for cheap, for cheap places. I've never, I've never been one to splurge. Um, I know I should with the points. I see people doing that all the time, but 
I haven't done that yet. I'm new to the points world. I guess it's been a couple years, but I still consider that new. I do, I love museums and outdoor adventures at the same time. So a typical trip will have museums, outdoor stuff. There's always a beer experience involved, whether it's a brewery or some kind of festival or something. Um, that's a given for sure. But I guess my trips are just a big mix of everything. I don't know. And on that note, with there always being a beer experience involved, what are some of the best places you've been in the U.S. for beer? Some really good beer towns. I really like Cincinnati. They have um, a lot of really good breweries that I love and just remember. You know, I visit a lot of breweries in a lot of cities, and most of them are kind of forgettable, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But the ones in Cincinnati, we talk about going back all the time. I think that makes that the third Ohio city that people have told us to go to for beer. I think Columbus has come up a couple of times in Cleveland once and now Cincinnati too. Cool. So I did a mileage run to Cincinnati a couple of years ago uh, and had a five hour layover and I'm sitting down, my wife and I sitting down having a beer at some random brewery uh, that we saw got good reviews and we're chatting with our team, Travel on Points, my blog and Facebook group. And one of our moderators uh, chimes in in this WhatsApp chat, and it's his brother-in-law's brewery. Uh, his wa- my moderator's wife, uh, Brian Suarez, his wife is from Cincinnati, and it's her brother's brewery. So I forget the name, but we'll link it in the show notes. Uh, awesome beer in an awesome spot in Cincinnati. And you're right, it, uh, Cincinnati, you think, why would you go there? Maybe for baseball or football. But it's an uh, an awesome beer and food city. Yes, I was surprised at what amazing food they have there. I went to some of the best restaurants and definitely the beer, of course. So they do have a huge German influence, and I think that's why their beer is just so good. Yeah. We showed up on a Saturday morning, like I said, five or six-hour layover, uh, before coming back to Baltimore, and uh, we went straight to the the food market on a Saturday morning. And like you say, the German influence was unbelievable. Uh, you know, with, with all the German food, and there was some German beer, and uh, we we absolutely loved it. Awesome. And, and now I have to add Cincinnati to my list. Yeah. And plus that chili, you know, the chili yeah. you get everywhere that's <laughs> not really chili. <laughs> right. But it's awesome. Yeah. It's and good. then the ice cream. And yeah, it's a, it's a really good food town. Yeah, it is. I like it a lot. And it's very, it's, it's very close to, um, it's a few hours from Nashville and Louisville, I think is pretty close. So it's definitely in your zone of where you were. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually headed to Nashville this weekend, um, nice. but it's just going to be staying in Nashville, wearing as many masks as possible. I think. Yes. Yeah, cool. I'm going to get you the name of this. Nashville has a really great, uh, mead place. Like really, really good mead. So I'll send you the um, the name of that place too. Oh yeah, and shoot me some Nashville brewery recommendations too, because we're looking for someone to record with, and I haven't gotten around to asking anyone yet. So it's gonna be. Oh, another. I will. One of my favorite breweries is there, Black Abbey. I like breweries that focus on Belgian style beers. Oh, I have not heard of Black Abbey. Yeah. Um, I did bearded iris while I was there. Um, really, really enjoyed it, but I I haven't heard of the one you mentioned. Yeah, I like it a lot. And while we're there, we kind of jumped over after you mentioned Cincinnati, and I got excited. Uh, So Cincinnati, you really enjoy in the U.S. What other cities do you really enjoy for beer? 
this is a tough one. I don't do a lot of traveling within the U.S., period. Um, I do love the breweries in Memphis, my hometown. One of my favorite things to do when I go home is to tour all the breweries. And I'd say probably 10 years ago, there, there really wasn't any. And then now they have tons. Um, and they're very, very good. I, I'm not an IPA person. So living in New England is especially hard for me because the breweries up here focus heavily on that style. So I tend to like the stuff I get in Tennessee, um, some good stuff in Florida and Cincinnati, of course. So I like um, the styles that you find outside of New England, really. Just so you know, Derek might not talk to you for the rest of the episode. I know. He's drinking an IPA, it, too. It's okay. It's more for me. <laughs> more for me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But I know I'm the outlier here because people in New England are insane for this stuff. New England IPAs are amazing. Um, even if you're not a traditional IPA, you know, the West Coast style or the super bitter, um, uh, you know, I think the New England IPA is really kind of that crossover beer that's drawing people into the IPA family, even if you're not typically a fan of the style. So you say you haven't traveled that much in the U.S. or you don't travel that much domestically at this point. How about worldwide? Any international spots that you recommend people definitely go to for beer? Definitely. Um, Quebec, Canada is one of my favorite places. It's hmm. Quebec City is just a six-hour drive from Boston, where I live, and they have some of the best beers I've ever had. Um, you know, Unibrow's up there, La Fin du Monde, and all, all of them, they're all up there. And all the beer I have in Quebec is, I'm always like, this is the best beer I've ever had. So you could say that's internationally. It's very close to New England. Um, and they, too, focus on more Belgian styles. And also Belgium. If you love beer, a trip to Belgium is going to change your life. Have you been, Jeff? I was in Belgium many years ago when I was backpacking after college. And I mm. drank some beers and I liked them. But I did not appreciate them for what they were, nor did I right. drink enough beers. So it's okay. it's on my list of places to get back to in the near future. Yes, that is an incredible beer destination. Just choices out the wazoo. Every place you go has just the best beer list you've ever seen. Um, Delirium Cafe is there in Brussels. And you say, do you have a beer list? And they plop down what is essentially a Yellow Pages phone book in front of you. And that's their beer list. Yeah. And it's. They have, they're in the Guinness book for the, having the most beers, <laughs> one bar or something crazy. And somehow they have a specific class for each one of those beers. I'm sure they do. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Of course. And one of my favorite things is when you get a beer served to you in the glass it's supposed to be served in. That's one of those weird little bitty things that I really That's like. why I commented on your stein today actually has yeah. the name of the beer you're drinking. I was like, that's impressive. You're right. It does look huge though in this camera angle. That's definitely a thing in Belgium. I mean, it doesn't matter what beer you order, they will put it in the specific glass every mm -hmm. single time. When you were in Brussels, did you have an opportunity to visit Cantillon? No, I didn't. I don't remember why. Um, we went, we stayed in Brussels and we went to a few different cities outside that, but uh, I don't think we had time, I guess. Yeah, the, the next time you're in Brussels, definitely do that. Uh, you know, I it's another brewery tour, but uh, mm -hmm. it's by far the most interesting uh, brewery tour I've ever done. They do the uh, spontaneous wild ales. 
uh, in the oh, old world cool. style. So they, but they, you know, the things they couldn't do in the United States when you do these brewery tours, they walk you by the open air vat of the beer that's currently in process. And you just stand over it and look. And there's no restrictions. You know, right. people are just leaning over it. Uh, and then you go downstairs and, and drink what was in that vat three or four years prior before they let it age in barrels and then blend it together. So in the old world, uh, goods and, and lambics. So definitely do that. I think anyone that loves beer has to do the brewery tour. Absolutely. Cantillon. I am dying to get back to Belgium. And other than Quebec and Belgium, obviously you're a fan of German beer, who mentioned a couple of times. And I want to talk a little bit about Oktoberfest because fans of the podcast know I'm a little bit obsessed with Oktoberfest and that I've been, I don't know, five or six times now. But my obsession with Oktoberfest pales in comparison to yours (laughs) in that you spend a ton of time there. So let's talk about when you first went or how did you get the idea to go to Oktoberfest and what was that first experience like for you? Well... I've been going to a local Oktoberfest here in Massachusetts for a few years and always thought it was so much fun. Um, so one year we were like, hey, let's go to real Oktoberfest in Germany. So this was 2014 and it was like a group of six of us all went together. And immediately I was like, this, <laughs> this is it for me. I was immediately obsessed and I was like, I'm going to come back here every year. Like just no question. Going to all those like small October festivals, you know, like around around town. Um, I don't know. I just love the music and the outfits and the food. So going to the real one was just it was like unbelievable. And it was exactly my expectations, you know. So I was like, this is definitely happening every year. <laughs> and I think that's you put that very well in that the small festivals that you see around here, if you fall in love with that music and that food and that the food, the beers and the activities and the singing and the dancing i mean just multiply that by a thousand in size and that's what you have in any one of those tents at oktoberfest and Mm -hmm. it's if you don't like crowds definitely don't go we had a a friend had brought his dad a couple years ago and he's like oh we're not going to stay in the tent for too long my dad doesn't really like crowds and i was like wait why why would you bring him here yeah but if you like crowds and you like in a post pandemic world, like being shoulder to shoulder with people and everyone's having a good time and there's just no better place in the world to be. I don't think. I agree. And that is one of the reasons I love it so much. It's just, um, it's like just a carefree good time, you know, like 6 million people go every year, but it's not chaotic. It just seems organized and it's clean and safe and there's so much going on, but it's, it, you don't feel like uncomfortable or overwhelmed. It's just a, uh, it's just a lot. It's just, everyone's having fun. Everyone. So at some point you decided to go from just attending Oktoberfest to helping other people travel to Oktoberfest and guiding. How did that transition happen? Did someone approach you and say, Hey, you really love this. Come work for us. Or did you seek that out? No, I was actually approached. The story is really funny. Um, so after my first time at Oktoberfest, uh, you know, I was reading about it online or whatever, and I just found this Oktoberfest Facebook page and I liked some of the stuff that they posted and the owner of the company, it was a tour company called Thirsty Swagman who, uh, focuses on Oktoberfest tours and some other beer festivals. 
And the owner emailed me and was like, hey, I saw you like something on our page. And he's like, I checked out your website and I love it. Would you like to do all the blogs and all the website writing and stuff for our site? I was like, hell yeah. This was- like, um, wait, what? Yeah, this was- Yes, of course. Yeah, this was a few, um, this is about a year, I guess, after I started my blog. So I was like, this is amazing. This is what I want, you know, to be able to write for a living, especially about Oktoberfest. So I was like, absolutely, I'm gonna do that. And that was 2015 and I'm, I still, that's I still do that for this company. And they asked you to start guiding tours at that point where if, since you were the, I guess the marketing face of the company. Right. I did. Um, I did the blog articles and a lot of the, the web content. I did that for about three years, I guess. And then one of their tour guides was leaving the company in 2018. And they were like, you already know everything there is to know about Oktoberfest. So why don't you, would you like to be a tour guide? So of course I was like, hell yes, I'm not going to turn this down. So now I do that every year. Do you speak German? No, I don't speak German, but I know beer words and I know song lyrics and I know military terms. <laughs> so between <laughs> between those three, I can figure out a lot of what's going on. I can't speak any of it, but. So you can get your beer and you can sing along and have fun and you know if something bad is about to go down. Yes. Yes. All right. Perfect. That's pretty much all you need to know at Oktoberfest, right? I mean, yes. that keeps you happy. That keeps you out of trouble. You're good. Right. So as a guide, what does that entail? Because guides do, I mean, obviously do different things in different places. How much control or how much guiding do you do with that group? Is Do you do several groups? Do you do one group? Talk about the actual process of guiding. Well, there's, um, I'm there for the whole two weeks of Oktoberfest pretty much. And, you know, there's like, they're basically three day tours at a time. So it's like one group comes for three days and then another group after that and then another. So I'm there for the whole time. Before the tours, I help people plan their trips and all that before, you know, before um, September rolls around, I guess. Um, at the hotels, I'm their point of contact. So I'm making sure they've got their, um, their wristbands and they've got their trip all settled. You know, they don't have any questions about the hotels or where we're gonna be or what's gonna happen. We have beer tent reservations as part of our tours. So I'll handle that going to the um, going to the beer tents and picking up the vouchers and all that and dealing with the people at the tents who speak English. In the tent, you know, I make sure everybody has their, their food and their beer vouchers. Um, I'm there to answer questions. I show a lot of people where the bathroom is. So basically, I'm um, kind of there with the group just in case anybody needs anything. Uh, we'll all go facilitate to, things so right. nothing is hard for them. Right. And, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the people that go, some of them are solo travelers who want to go to Oktoberfest, but don't want to go by themselves. Uh, some people are, you know, they don't want to plan a whole trip to Oktoberfest because, I mean, it can be overwhelming to some people. So, you know, they just want to party with a big group. So I'm just there making sure everybody's going to the tents, getting, you know, getting there, being where they're supposed to be, getting their beer, getting their food answering all their questions, showing people how to tie their burrows. <laughs> and what does the timeline look like for that? Is that a, you're, when their tours are there, you're working 16 hour days, you're working eight hour days. I know you had some time at the, in 2019, you were done with your tour for the day. So you came and met up with us for the end of the night uh, at the tent. Is that typically something you can do every day? Do you have free time during the day? 
we start in the morning about nine o'clock, I guess, maybe 9.45. We like to go to the tents. We like to open the tents some days. So we're there in the mornings, and then I'm usually with the group until about three, I guess. And I'm free to go, you know, free to, to go on my own if I want. A lot of times I just stay with the group because we're Oktoberfest and we're all drinking beer. So what else are you going to do? Some days we have just specifically night reservations. So, you know, I'll have the mornings free. And then I have uh, the second Saturday completely off on my own. I usually go on a day trip somewhere else outside of Munich. Um, so I have a healthy amount of free time if I want it. But usually I spend my free time at Oktoberfest anyway, because it's awesome. Because it's fun. And if yes. everyone's going to be drinking liters of beer, you don't want to feel left out. Exactly. Do you have any tips for first-time visitors, things that people wouldn't know that you think are important? Um, yes, definitely. My biggest tip is to stay near the Wiesen. And I think you stayed at a hotel that was really close too, right? Yeah, I typically stay. I, I'm very comfortable with the trains in Munich and really mm-hmm. all over Germany at this point. So as long as I am a less than 15-minute train ride away, I'm happy. If people right. really, really want to do it, like, the what is it, the Four Points is right there off the mm-hmm. grounds, is a fantastic hotel to stay at. There are very are several hotels that are walkable. I take to train usually because it's usually cheaper on points to stay a little farther away. That makes sense. The trains in Munich are some of the best and the easiest and the smoothest I've ever seen. So I definitely recommend using that. I'm super lazy. I want my hotel to be five minutes outside the entrance just so I could come and go. So I really like doing that. Also, of course, I'm going to say I recommend people to wear the outfits. So many people are like, oh, what if I'm the only one that's dressing up? But I mean, as you know, everyone dresses up. I would say every time that I've gone, and I usually have a group the past couple years, the past couple times we've gone, we've had 25 or 30 people that end up coming over the course of the couple of days. And every time there is at least one or two people that who say, oh, we don't need the outfits, and they come for the first day, and by the second time they go, they have an outfit. Exactly. So, exactly. It just changes. Just get it ahead of time. It Enjoy changes it. so much. Yeah, it really adds to the whole experience to wear the outfit and you just instantly become somebody else. It's so much fun. It's fun. So, and I can say that later Hosen do a great job of absorbing beer spills. I imagine because the, the really good ones, I mean, these people wear them for like 50 years. You yeah, know? the nice thick leather and then you just yeah. wash it out at the end of the night and they're wonderful. And the dirndls come with an apron. Um, and another huge tip I have is even if you, quote, don't like beer, please order a beer at Oktoberfest. I tell everyone this. I've brought so many of my non-beer drinking friends to Oktoberfest, and they've all ordered a beer, and they've all liked the beer. <laughs> Oktoberfest beer is so much better than so many other beers that these people have probably tried. And, um, you know, you get, I'm holding it, you get the big leader, you know, and you're singing, and you're prosting, and you just get so involved in the atmosphere that even if you don't like beer, you'll find yourself really enjoying the beer at Oktoberfest. So I try to encourage everyone to at least order a beer, give it a try, and I promise you'll like it more than you think you do. And if you can't stand the beer after the first one, get a shandy, get something, let your neighbor drink some of it, at least have the mug to swing it around and sing with everybody. Exactly. And I will drink 
many leaders at Oktoberfest. I mean, I'm there for like 16 days, start to finish. So some of those you see me with are Rattlers for sure. I definitely drink many liters each day I'm there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I'm not responsible for other people. It's just me. I right. just have to get myself on the train and back to the hotel. Nice. So we don't have, unfortunately, Oktoberfest this year again, the second year in a row that it has been canceled due to the COVID pandemic. Hopefully we will have it next year to go to. But as people are at home and not able to travel to Germany to do these fall festivals, some festivals at home, I mean, in the U.S. and various cities may still happen this September, October. Some may not. But you've done a lot over the past year, really last fall and then leading into this fall, you're reposting some of it and with some new articles about how to do Oktoberfest at home. Can you talk a little about why someone might want to do that or what, what are some things you can do to make it more authentic? I have seen a huge interest in this. I kind of wrote it because... Um, Last year, I was trying to figure out a way to do all this cool stuff at home because I've been just in my home for months and months. And uh, I was like, maybe I'll have an Oktoberfest party, although it was a small party because we still weren't having people over. But you should still be able to celebrate Oktoberfest even if you can't go to Germany. So, you know, I decorated my house. We all had, um, we had these huge German beers. This Polander leader is actually at the liquor store that we go to. We're selling these um, liter mugs with a liter can of polliner inside for like $9.99. So we bought a good number of those. That's cheaper um, than you can get it in the polliner tent and you don't get oh, to keep absolutely. the glass. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and last year was the, the one time I tried cooking stuff. So I made a whole bunch of uh, Oktoberfest food and I baked pretzels and I made an Oktoberfest playlist and tons of people tell me they listen to that all the time. <laughs> Um, yeah, so there's like, there's a ton of ways that you can celebrate Oktoberfest at home and they're so easy. And then I kept getting emails and pictures from people who were like, look at this party I threw and they showed me all their decorations. So a lot of people are getting into celebrating Oktoberfest at their house. We definitely made the pretzels from the recipe that you put yes. out and they were delicious. Yes, they were fun. So good. The kids enjoyed it and they were delicious. Yes. I want to make those all the time, actually. Yeah, if only we could do that. And now I guess my son can't really have them unless he plans for it because there's a whole <laughs> lot of carbohydrates in pretzels. But, you know, life changes. See what throw, see what it throws at you. Right. So as we these episodes come out over the next couple of weeks, um, we'll definitely link up to several of your articles for how to plan for Oktoberfest so people can be inspired and really enjoy an Oktoberfest at home, or at least some of the features at it, drink the beers, have some of the foods, listen to the music. But if people, as we close up here, if people want to find you online, what's the best place to do that? Where should they look to find you personally, My Wanderlusty Life, Destination World War II, if they want to uh, get in on these Oktoberfest tours when they resume, hopefully next year, give us a quick rundown of where to find you online. Well, I guess as far as social media goes, I spend most of my time on Instagram. I'm on Instagram and Facebook mostly. I'm on Twitter a little bit. Um, my wonderlustylife.com has 
everything you need to know. Um, I respond to all emails and blog comments as quickly as possible um, so that it's still a resource. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm everywhere. Everywhere that you need everywhere. travel information or World War II information or Oktoberfest yes. information, Ashley is there. And thank yes. you so much for taking some time out of your week to sit down and record with us today. It's been a great conversation. I can honestly say I can't wait until we can be in Munich again and having a stein of beer together. I know. I hope that happens next year. Well, that was another great conversation with Ashley. I can't wait to see her again. It's so much fun to talk beer and Oktoberfest and travel with her. And the way she presents things on her blog is just wonderful. So definitely check that out if you have a chance. But for now, Derek and I are going to get into some of the updates in the world of credit cards and travel and hotels and airlines and all that other kind of stuff, loyalty programs, whatever else we can throw in there. And we're going to start, Derek, with credit cards. But once again, the first thing is not going to be Chase. Well, it sort of is. It kind of is. You know, when you think about Oktoberfest and our discussion with Ashley, you start thinking about the time of year, right? And it's hard to believe, but quarter three is almost over. Uh, We are almost into the last quarter of the year. And what does that mean? Well, for us credit card aficionados, there's several cards that have quarterly bonus categories. Some that come to mind are the Chase Freedom, the Chase Freedom Flex, and the Discover It. Uh, All three of those uh, have 5% cash back. The Freedom cards become 5x Ultimate Rewards, if you have an Ultimate Rewards earning card. But all three of those have uh, that 5% cash back up to $1,500 per quarter. And again, quarter three is ending at the end of the month, and we'll switch over to quarter four. So if you haven't put your $1,500 spend on those cards this quarter, pull them out, dust them off, and go get $1,500 in spend. Um, Chase Freedom and Freedom Flex are extremely easy. They are grocery stores and select streaming services, but most everyone can quickly find something uh, at the cash register area of your grocery store to knock out $1,500 in spend. And along with needing to finish up that quarter three spending is you'll need to register for your quarter four categories. And I don't think it's quite available yet with Chase, but I know just in the past couple of days, I've been getting emails on, I have a couple of Discover It cards, and I'm already registered for my quarter four spending categories on those cards. So make sure you do that before you do the spending for quarter four. And as we finish out quarter three, get that spending in to get your, uh, maximize your 5% cash back if you have those cards. That's right. And with that, Jeff, we move into the news that no one has ever heard about before with Chase. Brand new. Breaking right here. You've never heard it. We definitely haven't mentioned it every week for the past month and a half. Nope. None of that's actually true at all. (laughs) Right? We wish it was new and groundbreaking or one of these uh, MX offers where they've increased the sign-up bonus by 250% since last week. But no, it's still the Chase Sapphire Preferred. We say still, it's the best offer ever on the card for $95 annual fee. 
If you're eligible for this card under 524, you currently don't have a Sapphire product and you haven't received a Sapphire bonus in the last 48 months, you are eligible. Uh, get a player to referral or use your favorite Miles and Pints uh, affiliate link, which would be at milesandpints.com. And sign up for that card ASAP. We don't know when this offer is going away, but it's too good to pass up. A little personal data point on this, Jeff. As we know, many of our friends have been in the miles and points game for a long time. And they were recently, or day by day, are becoming eligible for a Chase Sapphire Preferred, as it's been four years or more since their last Sapphire bonus. So people are downgrading that card to one of the freedoms, uh, the old school freedom, the Freedom Unlimited, or the Freedom Flex, and then waiting a certain period of time, and then reapplying for a Sapphire for that 100,000 point bonus. I can say that Sarah and I executed this plan uh, for her card. We downgraded her Chase Sapphire Reserve uh, on a Sunday, waited until Saturday, so six days, and she was approved today. So not sure. I've seen some reports that four days after downgrade is enough to be approved. Uh, I've seen some earlier than that automatic uh, denials uh, for holding the product. But I can say with certainty that six days should be enough uh, to do that downgrade and then reapply, and you will be approved if you otherwise meet the qualifications. So um, seeing lots of lots of applications and lots of PCs down to freedoms to be eligible. And that is exciting news with that shorter wait period confirmed. I'm interested to see, with us taking a few weeks off here in between Season 2 and Season 3, I'm curious to see if this is still going to be the top news when we come back, or one of the top news items when we come back, or if as I wander through Europe, this offer is going to wander away and we're not going to have it anymore. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see when we come back with Episode 1 of Season 3. Agreed. you got to think it's going away soon. I'm kind of shocked it's lasted. I thought it might last through Labor Day. Uh, we shall see. I mean, we're now into fall, at least in my mind. Oktoberfest season, football season. Who knows how much longer it lasts, but I doubt it will be around for season three of Miles and Pints. You are correct. One quick note on Chase credit card offers, Jeff. We've talked not much about the Hyatt offer over the last, say, three, four months. The offer was pretty bad. They have made it slightly better, uh, and enough so that I think uh, high spenders and people that really know how to take advantage of creative spending, so to speak, uh, it's enough that you may want to look at this offer. The sign-up bonus itself is uh, remains the 60,000 points that requires a 15,000 spend. That's broken up as 30,000, I believe, for 5,000 spend, and then... Um, or 4,000 spend, and then the last 30 is broken down as 2x on all non-bonus spending up to 15,000. It gets really, really, really confusing on that. Uh, but essentially, you know, spend about 20 grand on the card and you get 60,000 points or more. Uh, but the interesting piece, Jeff, is when you start stacking these promos, a different piece of the sign-up bonus is through the end of the year, you earn double Elite Night credits for all stays at Hyatt uh, at, for new credit card uh, holders. So if you sign up for this card and you spend about twenty grand, uh, you are down to 10 paid nights 
uh, through the end of the year. And paid nights can include award night, point nights, to get globalist. So literally signing up for one credit card, the world of Hyatt credit card, spending about twenty grand, and staying 10 nights in the next uh, three and a half months, you get the highest tier status and as most of us award travelers believe, the highest tiered status at for the best hotel loyalty program, all for that little bit. That's a pretty good deal. It's not bad. And you also didn't mention another stack there. The if when you spend that fifteen thousand uh, on the card, that also earns you a free category one through four free night certificate, right? That is true. Yes. So and I mean it gets even better. Still not, I mean, it's still not one of our top cards, but if you have a few of those top cards and you're looking for to branch out a little bit and start getting these co-branded hotel and airline cards, we always suggest you do the flexible currency ones first. But if you've reached the point where you need to move into the hotel and airline cards, this isn't a bad one if you have the ability to do that little bit of spend. Right. And one little note on this, obviously everything we say is not applicable to everyone if if you can let's say spend 15,000 on this card uh, over the next three and a half months but it's going to take every single penny uh, that you're going to spend on a credit card to hit this bonus I probably wouldn't look at this unless you really 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 need globalist status for a bunch of stays you know will happen at Hyatt in 2022. This offer is attractive again to those that can really uh, hit the enhanced spending the um, you know referred to as manufactured spending. Uh, If you can hit that hard and 20 grand is a no-brainer you can do it in your sleep this is a really good credit card. Be the first time uh, you could spend as little as twenty grand and stay some nights and uh, and get globalist uh, for that small amount of stays and spend. So worth a second look for those that are big spenders. Otherwise, keep going after those transferable currencies, like Jeff suggested. And we'll move on to Amex next. American Express with their Hilton Business Card offer. That's currently at 130,000 points after just 2,000 in spend in three months. And then you get 50,000 more if you hit 10,000 in spend in six months. So a total of 180,000 points, which is, again, you have to look at the type of points. Hilton points aren't hugely valuable, but that's a huge number of points that you're getting for not a really, really high spend. It's a pretty good offer. After you spend 15000 on the card, you get a free night certificate from Hilton each calendar year, and then you get another one after spending 60000 on the card in a calendar year. So those bonuses can really stack up pretty quickly. But that's not all. If you spend 40000 in a year, which is in the middle of that fifteen to sixty where you're getting your free nights, you're going to get diamond status with Hilton from this card. Now, a lot of us have diamond status from the Hilton Aspire card, but that has a, I don't even know what the annual fee is these days, 450 I think, if they Sounds haven't right. raised it and added in some weird coupon-like benefits like they do with all their other cards. But it, that's $450 to get diamond. This Hilton business card has a $95 annual fee. And with just putting some spending on it, if you have business spending, it's not going to be too tough to do. You can end up with a couple of free night certificates, 180,000 points, and diamond status for the year. 
that's a tremendous offer for a $95 annual fee. It really isn't. Uh, I, I have not been hammering this one home in travel on points like I should have since this public offer was announced uh, maybe 10 days ago. I really am going to. I was digging into it for the for the podcast today, Jeff. This is really an underrated card. I mean, again, Hilton points. They are not Chase URs. They are not MXMRs. But let's say, let's say that you value MXMRs at... Uh, at three Hilton points, this is still a sixty thousand point sign-up bonus, right? For ten grand, um, so um, hundred eighty thousand, obviously a little artificially uh, uh, high due to the low value of Hilton points, but still, almost any Hilton hotel in the world, you're getting two free nights, other than one or two hotels. The most expensive standard rooms at a Hilton worldwide is 90,000 points for a night. So 180,000, you've got two free nights at almost any hotel in the world. Uh, Waldorf Astoria uh, Los Cabos uh, is, I believe, 120,000. That's one exception. There's one in the Maldives that's now 150. Other than that, you can go to every hotel uh, in, in the world for two nights for free. But like you said, you put 15k on the hotel uh, on the hotel card, you have a free night certificate, so you're at three hotel nights anywhere in the world other than a, and those few exceptions. Cuz again, for people unfamiliar with Hilton, these free night certificates are not uh, capped. They are good anywhere uh, a standard room is available. So again, if you could put 15k on this card again for our big spenders, you're looking at three free nights at any Hilton in the world. That's really good for a $95 annual fee card. Yeah, not bad at all. That actually is uh, that's tickling my brain a little bit. I may have to pick up one of these, especially being a business card. It won't affect my 524 status. So. Exactly. We just upgraded Sarah's green to a new gold um, for a 15,000-point offer. And uh, we've seen so many data points. We've talked about it on the podcast where green, uh, you it does not count to the five credit card limit for MX. But once you have it, it counts. Um, so now that Sarah's green is gone, she has dropped back to four credit cards with Amex, not including her charge cards. So I think this might be the one we grab for number five, Jeff. Again, 15K on the card in a calendar year gets you three free nights at any Hilton in the world. That's, <laughs> that's a really good sign-up bonus. So American Express, not wanting to make it too easy for you to pick which business card to get is also handing out high offers like candy when it comes to their membership rewards earning cards and we've seen 90,000 point offers for the gold card 150,000 point offers for the platinum card people are getting these in targeted mailers targeted emails most of them have no lifetime language so even if you already have one of these cards you can get another one it's just, it's crazy how much they're handing out. You have to worry about American Express when they start handing out this many points that they're going to start clawing back or really looking at how you're doing your spending. So I would definitely recommend if you're getting these offers, be careful on your spending and make sure you're spending it on legitimate purchases because 
they've been known to come back when they try and hand out too many points. But if you have the ability to do the spend, again, especially if you're doing spending with your business, grab these cards, grab them while you can. There's lifetime language on a lot of these cards unless they're targeted. So if they're sending you offers to get them and you can just keep getting more and more of them, I would get as many as I could. Yeah, and I'm of two mindsets, Jeff, and uh, caveat here, I've opened four Biz Platinums myself uh, in the last 12 months, 11 months actually, three of them with no lifetime language. Uh, my wife Sarah has opened an extra Biz Platinum. She's opened two this year, one with no lifetime language, and she's opened a Biz Gold with no lifetime language. So with that, I would say I'm of two minds. Number one, like you say, grab all you can, right, while they're giving them to you. Second mindset is, is there a risk of clawback or, or shutdowns? Potentially. I certainly would not use these offers that are sent to someone else, uh, especially with offer codes. But part of me says when they're in your account, when they're emailed to you, what can they do when you accept the offer they send to you directly? So, uh, again, like you said, Jeff, as long as they're sent to you via email, email uh, USPS mailers, or in your account online, Go for it. They're handing them out like candy as long as you can hit the spend. Um, I, I Honestly, I see no harm in it. I think they'd have some serious issues if they send you mailers and you comply with them and then they claw them back. Um, and <laughs> it's crazy, but the number of these that we've seen, I find it hard to believe at this point that it's a mistake. I mean, I saw a data point travel on points from our buddy Kevin Song um, out in Chicago that the day he accepted a Biz Gold targeted offer for 90000 he had a new Business Gold offer in his, in his brand new Business Gold account and a brand new 150000 Biz Plat offer in that same Business Gold account. The day he opened it, it's, it's insane. I know Sarah, the day her last 150k Biz Platinum offer posted... She had a brand new 150k offer in her account. So I guess get it while the getting's good. And let's all hope the rat team doesn't have a filled day this fall and winter. Yep. And then the last thing in credit cards we want to talk about is another one that we're going to be watching to see if it's still around when we come back for season three. I would guess it won't be. I would love for City to prove me wrong, but that's the City Premier 80,000 point for $4,000 in spend offer. Highest ever offer on this card. It's got a $95 annual fee and is one of our top recommended cards. We say week after week, the City Premier and the Chase Sapphire Preferred are the first two cards you should get in this game and two cards that can put you on your way to earning a couple of the most powerful transferable currencies. And with that, we'll move on to hotels. Jeff, lots of credit card news, so we'll try and speed through the hotels, the airlines, and the general travel. Hyatt has announced plans to expand even more, Jeff. They're opening six new hotels in Europe. Uh, really good news. We saw them expand into the Caribbean and Latin America a few uh, weeks ago with that almost $3 billion expansion and further expansion into Europe. It's great news for award travelers, travelers generally and for Hyatt loyalists specifically. 
And I see this news and I think six hotels is not that big a deal. But at the same time, when it comes after that big acquisition that we had, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I think there's going to be more and more of this going on. And six hotels isn't a huge deal. I think it's in five different countries. So most of those countries is just getting one hotel somewhere in the country. But if that's in the town that you're going to go to, and now there's a Hyatt hotel when there wasn't one before, it's great news. So it's it's news I like to see. They're also doing a targeted promotion. We've kind of been on Hyatt the past couple of weeks and complaining about their lackluster fall promotion that they put out. But now we're seeing a it's it's been highly targeted. Not too many people have seen it, but some people are getting uh, emails or they're seeing in their Hyatt account in the promotions tab a targeted promotion for a free category one through four certificate after a two night stay. And then you'd be able to do that a second time. So two free nights for two two night stays, which is a tremendous value. It's a it, to earn that kind of certificate, I don't think we've seen that from Hyatt in quite some time, if they've done it before. So definitely check your emails, check your junk mails, make sure that you are signed up for he, for Hyatt promotion emails, because if something like this comes out and you didn't get it because you had that clicked off or you weren't paying attention, you'll be sad. And not to be outdone, although it's not Quite as good a news, Hilton has announced they are adding a new hotel in Santorini, Greece. Uh, Again, only the one hotel announced so far, but for a popular tourist destination like Santorini, it's always good to have another points hotel available, and I'm sure it will be a very nice luxury property there. And if I remember correctly, that's going to be a curio collection, and I think it will only have 37 rooms, so a very small property with very nice rooms in what is, like you said, a huge tourist destination. So anytime another points hotel goes into a place like that, it's good for those of us who use award travel to pay for our stays because that's one more place, even though a few more rooms, still one more place that we'll be able to stay when we go there. Exactly. With that, we will move on to the airline news of the week. Southwest made a big splash this week, Jeff, and at the the time of the airing of this podcast, you will no longer be able to book this, but we wanted to discuss it and uh, generate some excitement for it, maybe get some of our listeners giving us feedback about what they did uh, on this promotion. The promotion this week was uh, Southwest announced you could book one round trip or two one ways by September 9th and then complete those flights by November 18th. And in doing so, you would get their companion pass for almost two full months from January 6, 2020 through February 28, 2020. For those not familiar with the Southwest Companion Pass, it is not like a Delta Companion Pass that you earn from your credit card or the Alaska Companion Pass that you earn from the credit card where it's limited to one flight. The Southwest Companion Pass is unlimited flights uh, for that time period. Uh, And all you are required to pay is the taxes on an award flight, which is only $5.60. So it's essentially buy one, get one free, um, plus $5.60 each way. Jeff, I took advantage of this. I booked, uh, I talked about it in Travel on Points last night. I had an existing one-way as part of a bigger trip from BWI to Charleston. 
uh, that was around $78. I rebooked that flight last night. Uh, so I guess at the airing of this podcast, I booked it on Wednesday. And I booked my flight from BWI to Cleveland. I'm staying in Cleveland on a Friday night and then flying Cleveland to BWI, meeting Sarah, and then taking our original BWI to Charleston flight. It ended up costing me an extra $101 uh, for that, plus a hotel night. But we'll get a companion pass for almost two full months, like I mentioned. And uh, we have at least two flights in that time period that we will fly on Southwest. We might have as many as four, depending on what happens with COVID this winter. So I, I, I took a shot, Jeff, and figured that was definitely worth 100 bucks. So I'm on the other side of that, and I did not do it. The reasoning being that that companion pass is so limited, and I already have travel scheduled during that time frame. I think if it... It really depended on the person who this works for, but myself as someone with one kid at college, one kid in high school, and a wife who is a teacher, I'm very limited when I can travel in that January to February time frame. There's a couple of uh, federal holidays in there, one in January, one in February. Over one of those, we have a trip to the Caribbean already booked, so that basically leaves me with one long weekend where I could have done something that my wife would have been able to come along with me or my son would have been able to come along with me. But already having an international trip, we'll probably do some traveling over the Christmas to New Year's time frame when my son is home from college for an extended period. I just didn't see us booking very many things. I would probably be able to travel a few times during that January to February time frame, but it, the people that I would pick as my companion wouldn't be able to come with me. So it just wasn't going to be worth it for me at all. So I did not change my behavior to get this companion pass. And this is a really good mental exercise for our listeners. It's really easy to have FOMO and try and chase everything. You need to have this internal dialogue on all of these offers. Credit card offers, travel offers, hotel promos, mattress running, etc. Before you go out and spend money to get some you know, promo you might have... Uh, FOMO about sit back and think is the you know is the juice worth a squeeze is this something number one I need number two I can benefit from and three that will benefit more than the time and effort uh, expended to earn it so for me I did that analysis and decided $101 for two to four flights is worth it Jeff did the analysis definitely not worth it but Regardless where you come out, it, there's no right answer, but you need to go through this mental exercise before chasing some promo. And I can say that I did make that decision and think through that with the Southwest booking page open because I was so excited when I read about this. And then I was like, wait, no, <laughs> this won't work for me. Why am I doing this? So it exactly. is hard to, when you read about it in six different blogs and on Twitter and you see the Instagram stories and you hear people talking about it, it's very easy to get caught up in that. And you have to take that moment to figure out that it's not for you if it's not going to be. In other airline news, United has announced that they will be placing unvaccinated employees on leave beginning October 2nd while they determine how to safely proceed with unvaccinated employees. These uh, fall into two categories, either religious exemptions, those will be on unpaid leave, and anyone who is medically exempt from being vaccinated will be on medical leave, but they haven't announced yet how long the, those periods of leave will be. 
basically, it looks like a move from United to say, get your vaccinations. Make sure you get them in. If you have been denied an exemption as an employee of United, there's a time limit. I think you have a total of five weeks to get fully vaccinated or you will be terminated. So United taking a very hard stand on the vaccinations. I love to see that from an airline. I would love to see that from every airline. And that's all for the United news. We also have a little, uh, several pieces of American Airlines news. First the good, and then we will get to some bad, Jeff, which, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm biased, but there's always bad synonymous with American Airlines. But first the good. American Airlines has announced a new sweepstakes between September 7th and September 24th. And Jeff uh, looked at all this and is really excited about it for maybe some winnings in his American Air... Oh, wait. No. You won't be winning any American Airlines points and miles. That was just hurtful, Derek. That was just hurtful. But I will still talk about the promotion. I will still talk about it. They have a grand prize in this sweepstakes of 100,000 miles and $2,500. They have three 20,000-mile prizes in addition to that. And they have a whole lot of ways to enter it. You can and get one entry simply by registering for the sweepstakes. You can enter again by opting into their emails for their online shopping mall. You can get additional entries for shopping at the shopping mall. It has to be minimum $50 purchases. And you can do that up to twice a day. So 100 And for each of those, you get 50 entries, so you can get 100 entries per day that way. And you can do mailed-in requests for entries up to 1,900 entries maximum. You get 100 per mailer, so you would have to do 19 mailers. So uh, it's an odd number of entries for each different way. It's an odd promotion. It's probably worth spending a few minutes entering it. Probably not worth spending a ton of time doing it. Maybe have one of your kids, if you have them, fill out those uh, 19 mailers and send them in. I know people did that a lot with, uh, was it IHG sweepstakes? Well, it wasn't even a sweepstakes with IHG. It was just flat out they gave you points of some type when you send in those mailers. So that was even a little better than this American Air one, but... Get yourself some extra entries. Everyone else will too, so you won't have any really better chance of winning the contest. But hey, somebody's got to win. It might as well be you. That's right. And that was the good with American Airlines. Now the bad, Jeff. JT Gintner on Twitter this week broke the news that American Airlines, for whatever reason, suddenly just took away basically all of their passenger protections. I, I Before we get into those, I've really got to say... I'm going to be curious to see how the DOT weighs in on these changes, but American Airlines has has at least attempted to remove basically all existing passenger protections and either eliminate them or add very vague language to reduce their liability, uh, to put more work on the passenger and the paying customer and less on themselves. A few things they've uh, changed is that they have fully disclaimed all liability when they or their partners cancel a flight or a route. When they strand you somewhere and it's quote-unquote American Airlines' fault, they will only cover the cost of hotel if it's an approved hotel, whatever that means, or you get, quote, written authorization from American Airlines, presumably in advance. And maybe more, most importantly, Jeff, 
buried in these terms, American changed the language that if there is a flight cancellation or delay that causes a misconnection, they will no longer rebook you on the next flight with available seats. Instead, now you can only be rebooked on the next American Airlines flight or American Partner flight with available seats. That's a very, very significant change. We're used to these interline agreements where when there's delays due to weather or flight cancellations, American would put you on United, would put you on Delta, uh, would put you on any of the airlines that have these interline agreements. They're apparently removing all of those. And as of now, you would only be able to be rebooked on American Airlines, I guess Alaska, or uh, are they a partner with JetBlue also in a limited capacity it's so i wonder when i wasn't even thinking of it that way until you just said that the way that says partners maybe it is only those select partners i was thinking anyone in the alliance but i bet they're gonna say that that's not the case i bet they're gonna say it's only their partner airlines that would be my guess and i mean the problem is you know the one world alliance they don't really have any partners in domestic USA, other than, you know, Alaska and American. So, um, at least for domestic travel, this is, this is an issue. There's typically American going everywhere, uh, United going everywhere, Delta going everywhere that participate in these interline agreements. But if you remove that and there's no Delta or United option uh, to get you home after a, a flight cancellation, that's problematic. Yeah, especially if it's a later flight in the day or the last flight of the night. And then you, with what they've done with this hotel change, you can't just book a hotel and then have that reimbursed. You have to go stand in that long line or get a hold of somebody online. If there's weather delays, that's going to be a problem. Those lines can be ridiculously long. The hotels all get booked up by passengers of other airlines while you're standing in line. It's just, it's crazy for me to see these changes. It's, it makes me think of the, the, what is it? The EU 261 rules where if you're a few hours late on a European carrier in Europe, I've had situations where as soon as that flight was delayed, I get an email telling me how to request my compensation or how much compensation I'm getting for that. American Air goes the other direction and says, yeah, if you're going to be more than four hours late or you're delayed more than four hours, uh, I guess we'll refund the unused portion of your ticket if you don't want it. Otherwise, pound sand. I would love to see the DOT come back and say, no, this is enough. We've, we've seen this going in the wrong direction and put in some sort of rule like they have in Europe so that the American airlines and the other U.S. carriers will have to be liable when they can't get people to their promised destinations where they said they're going to take them and people have paid for. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I'm, I've am i often wondered if the United States needed a similar law to EU 261. It might be time, Jeff. I mean, we saw so many problems during COVID with cancellations and especially refunds, you know, airlines holding on to refunds for so long. And uh, I, there was a massive problem with Air Canada. It took like a year to get refunds. We've seen a lot of problems with Iberia. I think it might be time, Jeff, if you want to operate in the United States, either 
from the U.S. elsewhere or completely inside, wholly inside the, the confines of the United States airspace, you need, you need to compensate your passengers when you don't fulfill your end of the bargain. Yep, that happens in any other industry. If someone is paid for something and they don't get that product or that service, they get compensated for it. I don't know why airlines should be any different. But in the meantime, if you're going to be flying with American, be ready for them to deny you anything. If they delay or cancel or there's any sort of misconnect or um, I don't know. The best thing you can do at this point is book with a credit card that's going to give you some of these protections back. You should be doing that on all your flights anyway, but we will have to rely more heavily on those credit cards as American has said, nope, we're not going to help you anymore. Agreed. And that's all the news we have in airlines for this week. That was a a big one, and it, I don't know, American just, they're not on my list of airlines to try and fly uh, for a while. You're not on their list either. Yeah, I know. We're not friends. (laughs) We're not friends. But let's head over into the travel section as we round this out. Uh, Just a quick nod over to the folks at Miles to Memories. They featured us here at Miles and Pints and me specifically in a post about some of the data points we put out on not bypassing the 524 status with Chase, but being able to wait and get reconsidered after one of those applications that made you 524 falls off of the record. They did a whole post on that, and we appreciated that and appreciated them mentioning us. In other news, European countries continuing to tighten restrictions on Americans. If you have a trip to Europe planned, like I do in the next couple weeks, keep an eye on things. They're changing regularly. Again, I just looked last night, and a couple things were different as far as what I needed in countries that I'm planning to head to. I realized that uh, Paris Saint-Germain has a game or PSG has a game when I'm going to be in Paris. But at this point, unless France gets around to giving me that digital COVID certificate, I can't go because they are only accepting EU digital COVID certificates to get into the stadium. So different things, different countries, um, all the restrictions are different. Keep an eye on that. Things are continuing to change in Europe. And the last piece of news, Jeff, we've learned Qantas, whenever they start resume international flights and bringing travelers to Australia, they will only allow vaccinated passengers on those international flights. So while we don't know when that will happen, we do know what it will look like in the future. If you want to fly to Australia and on Qantas, you will need to be vaccinated to travel down under. Yeah, and I think we mentioned that last week or the week before they had said that they're expecting flights to resume by December, though they have not scheduled any or made any available for booking. But uh, some good news for those of us who are vaccinated, some bad news for those who aren't. You're not going to be able to get on one of their their flights without being vaccinated when it's time to head back to Australia when it finally opens up. And that's all we have for our updates this week. Uh, Like we mentioned before, we're going to be taking a few weeks off. So if you need those updates and that content, pop over to Derek's group on Facebook, Travel on Points. And be sure to follow us on social media to see what I'm up to as I wander around Europe for the next few weeks.
Well, we hope you had as much fun listening to Ashley as we did talking to her. I could chat with Ashley about travel and Oktoberfest for hours and hours, and I can't wait until we can meet up in Munich again and have a liter or two of Fest beer. All of the important points and links for things we talked about during our conversation will be in the show notes, so you can pick up anything that you missed the first time through. The easiest place to find those notes is at milesandpints.com. Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of our new episodes as soon as they're released. Tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy the show too, and please take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. In between episodes, you can get more travel and beer content by following at Miles and Pints on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. You can also stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash milesandpints. And that's all we have for this episode. Remember, we'll be taking a few weeks off before we start Season 3, so until next time, we hope you'll find yourselves a little bit of travel, a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of fun. Cool.